Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This episode contains distressing themes, profanity, and descriptions of sexual violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. Women in southwest London lived in terror after a string of sex attacks on lone commuters travelling from Waterloo to Kingston. The police were desperately trying to locate a man believed to be responsible for half a dozen rapes over a three-month period in late 1988. Just days before Christmas, it seemed the rapist had crossed another line. He was now a murderer. Well, <laughs> apart from describing him as a maniac, he is obviously a very dangerous man, and I think the sooner we catch him, the better for everybody concerned. I just must be totally mad, mustn't I? Crazy person. Can't understand the way his brain thinks. If you've got a madman out there, like with a mad dog, you kill it. Anybody can stand there afterwards and cry. The whole legal system in this country, as far as I'm concerned, is all the cup. Welcome to Season 8, Episode 34 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Lorraine Benson was the youngest of three daughters born to Michael and Patricia Benson known informally as Mick and Lynn. Mick, a minicab driver, had first met Lynn over 30 years earlier when he was stationed in Dover with the army. By 1988, they had been married for 29 years and for decades had lived at their home on Woodside Park near South Norwood in Croydon. 22-year-old Lorraine was a friendly and outgoing person 
who lived at home with her parents and her older sister's 25-year-old Tanya, who was expecting her first baby, and 28-year-old Karen. Lorraine also had two pets that she adored, a budgie and a tortoise named George. Mick and Lynn were pleased Lorraine was still living with them. She had grown to be an incredibly kind and gifted young woman. As proud as they were, her parents weren't always sure things would work out the way Lorraine wanted, especially when she was in school. Lorraine had been stubborn and less interested in passing her exams, preferring to hang out with her friends. But as she got older, she decided she wanted to turn things around and become a policewoman. Unfortunately, Lorraine's school reports held her back and her application was rejected. However, this only spurred her to find a new passion. After working a few temporary jobs and moving out for a while to live with friends in a vicarage, Lorraine discovered a love of photography. She invested in a good camera before building up a portfolio to promote her artistic talents. Lorraine went on to find work as a photographic assistant for a company called Parasol Portraits. Co-workers said that she was especially good at capturing images of children. Lorraine was based at Children's World in Pearlyway, Croydon, but she was due to return to work at Harding and Hobbs Department Store in Clapham Junction in January. She had got along well with her colleagues, so she didn't hesitate to accept an invitation to the Harding and Hobbs Christmas Party on December 19, 1988. Lorraine left work in Croydon at around 5.30pm that Monday evening and got the train to Clapham Junction. She had brought a change of clothes and swapped outfits before arriving at the department store. She was wearing a mustard yellow coloured jumper, blue jeans, a long white hooded raincoat and brown boots. Lorraine was confident and stylish her short blonde hair made her easy to spot when she walked into the party at Harding and Hobbs. For the next few hours, Lorraine happily chatted with her co-workers and had a few drinks before stepping out to call her father at around 8.30pm. She told him that she wasn't going to be home that night. Lorraine had decided to stay at a friend's on Holland Avenue in Wimbledon. Peter Cox was emigrating to Australia the next day, and Lorraine wanted to wave him off at the airport with Peter's mother, Lotta. Mick and Lynn had no issues with Lorraine staying the night at Peter's. Their families were close, and Lorraine had lived with Peter and other friends before. Lorraine left at around 11.30pm. Two of her friends who had been at the party walked with her to Clapham Junction train station, where she caught the train at 11.45pm towards Rains Park. On the train, she met a colleague from the Arding and Hobbs department store, George Holdsworth. George was a bedding salesman, and he and Lorraine chatted for the 10-minute journey before getting off together on Platform 4 at Rains Park station. The station was almost empty, and the workers had already gone home. 
George walked with Lorraine through the dark tunnel towards Coom Lane, and she told him she was going to wait for a friend. They said their goodbyes, and George saw Lorraine entering one of the four phone boxes and picking up the receiver. Lorraine dialed Peter's home phone number, and his mother Lotta answered the call. She told Lorraine that Peter hadn't returned from a friend's house. Peter was supposed to meet Lorraine at the station, so Lotta offered to pick her up instead. Lorraine told Lotta it was alright, and she would start walking the short distance to their home on Holland Avenue. After ending the call, Lorraine walked across the main road on Coombe Lane and headed towards Holland Avenue, walking on the right-hand side of the road towards the Kingston Bypass. The street lights and headlights of oncoming traffic reflected off Lorraine's white coat before she turned down Holland Avenue. The journey was around one mile and should have taken Lorraine no more than half an hour, but she never arrived. When Peter Cox returned to his mother's, He told Lotta that he had gone to the station but he had not seen Lorraine. Assuming they had just missed each other along the road, Lotta and Peter headed out to look for Lorraine. After searching for around 40 minutes, they returned home and Lotta called Lorraine's parents to see if she had gone home instead. Mick was half asleep when he answered the phone, but when he heard that Lorraine was missing, He jumped out of bed and drove the 30-minute journey from Croydon to Wimbledon. By the time Mick arrived at Lotta's house on Holland Avenue, the police were already there. Officers from the Metropolitan Police Force immediately began searching along the route Lorraine would have taken from Rains Park Station to Holland Avenue. Mick Benson was with them as they walked along the main road and called out for Lorraine. With no sign of his youngest daughter, Mick drove home to comfort Lynn, who was alone and overcome with worry. Torchlight searches continued along Coombe Lane until a single hooped earring was found on the ground in an alleyway close to an abandoned car, around 200 yards from Peter and Lotta's home. The leather-covered hoop was photographed, and an officer stayed beside it until Mick and Lynn could identify whether or not it belonged to Lorraine. Lorraine had borrowed her mother's hoops that day, and once it was confirmed that the missing young woman had worn the earring, the searches intensified. Soon officers found a white plastic bag Lorraine had been carrying that contained a cardigan and four cans of lager. They then found one of her boots and signs of a disturbance. A car in the alleyway was coated in dust from sitting untouched for so long, but there were marks on its side as if something had been rubbed against it. Close by, investigators found a handkerchief with bloodstains on it. Peter Cox, Lorraine's 21-year-old friend, was brought in for questioning at around 5am as he was supposed to be the last person who saw Lorraine. He insisted that he had not seen her at the station, 
and felt immense guilt for arriving late because he had been having farewell drinks with other friends. The searches continued into the next day, and the alleyway was cordoned off to allow investigators to photograph and collect potential evidence. Along a 200-yard area close to the alleyway, more of Lorraine's clothing was found, as was her handbag containing her mobile phone. It was the early days of portable electronics. Phone reception was notorious for crackling and cutting out, making it cheaper and easier to use a public phone box if one was nearby. Just before midday, Officers with search dogs were walking through an overgrown pathway that led towards a primary school in Cottingham Park when the dogs were alerted to something in the bushes. The partially clothed body of a young woman wearing only a jumper and socks was discovered covered with branches and leaves. There were clear signs that she had met a violent death. Her face and head were scratched and bruised, and there was a ligature mark around her neck. Close to the body, scenes of crime officers found a three-foot length of rope. After the remains were positively identified as Lorraine Benson by her heartbroken father, a post-mortem confirmed that she had been strangled to death. There were other injuries found to her face, and bite marks on her left forearm and hand. Speaking with the Irish son years later, Mick recalled, I'm not very religious or a churchgoer, but the strangest thing was that when I looked at the rain, I wasn't looking at my daughter. I was looking at the shell that she used. I've lost my mum and dad and others, but I had never had that feeling that the soul had gone. It was kind of a relief followed by the most intense pain. The investigation was led by Detective Chief Superintendent Bernie Davis and Detective Superintendent David Fielding. They urgently appealed for information from anyone in the area who had seen Lorraine. Describing the scene, DCS Davis said, It is a busy road which is a main link between Kingston and Wimbledon and it's well lit. The alley where the body was found is also a well-used cut-through. There were indicators that Lorraine had first been attacked as she walked along Holland Avenue, just 200 yards from Peter Cox's home. Her clothes had been found scattered around the area, leading investigators to believe that they had been discarded after her body was dumped in the bushes on the pathway. It was theorised that Lorraine had been hit on the head and stunned as she had been carrying a phone in her black handbag, but did not have time to use it to call for help. Lorraine's father spoke at a press conference shortly after identifying her body. He said, This is bloody stupid. This sort of thing is just going on every day of the year, but you never think it will happen to you. She was a wonderful girl. What else can a dad say? She was outgoing, loved life and was full of fun. 
She was just enjoying life. She was looking forward to Christmas so much. We were going to have a big family get-together with her sisters Karen and Tanya. None of us can believe this has happened. The murder shocked locals and those who knew the victim. Lorraine's friend and co-worker Joyce Mann told a reporter for the Evening Standard. I know she's the sort of girl who would put up a tremendous fight if anyone tried to interfere with her. I was working with her the other week, and she was great fun. She's marvellous at mimicking people, and picks up languages like Japanese and Italian in a flash. Lorraine's neighbour in Woodside Park, Lucinda Palmer, said she was struggling to believe what had happened. Only recently, Lorraine came over to my house and took some pictures of my kittens. She was very keen on photography and had just recently got a job as a photographic assistant. How could anybody do this? Especially to Lorraine. After 14 hours in custody, Lorraine's friend Peter Cox was released without charge. He had fully cooperated with the police, and there was no evidence linking him to Lorraine's murder. Peter spoke to the press and said that he was feeling guilty because he had arrived at the station 15 minutes late as he was having a drink with friends. I feel I should, well, if I'd been there, it might never have happened. We were very close, like brother and sister, could talk about most, well, everything. Talked about problems, things like that. Went to see bands and things, had a good time. Well, I haven't been at sleep for well, since it happened. I'm just sort of sitting at home, really nervous all the time, shaking. Just devastated. Very upset, shocked. Just hope they find that murderer quickly. The police were still holding Peter's passport, so he was unable to fly to Australia as planned. Mick Benson was incensed by his daughter's murder and began campaigning for the return of the death penalty. There is no deterrent, and in a civilised country like ours, there should be, he said. There is no doubt in my mind that capital punishment would and should be the ultimate deterrent. There seems to be no logic to it at all. The MPs tell us it is no deterrent. The death, I do not see this. I see it as maybe one madman out there, and then there's twenty who will get on the same bandwagon and saying that it's, you know, it's my mind. It's a porn film, or it's a dirty book of it. There's too many excuses made for them. As all my again without boasting about it as I've said before to the police with it I think the average man in this country has seen a porn film he's read dirty books that doesn't make him go out there and make everybody open season and these MPs who sit back and they start or the psychiatrist as well who will sit back and they will blame everything but the person who's committed the crime while there was no evidence that Lorraine had been raped The police announced that they would be investigating possible links between her murder and a string of sex attacks perpetrated by a man the media dubbed the Railway Rapist. (laughs) 
Police working in Kingston were investigating a number of attacks on women along the train line from Waterloo Station to Kingston. The main suspect was described as being six foot tall in his 30s or 40s with staring eyes, unkempt shoulder-length hair, a bony face and a bent nose. The man was said to have been wearing a long black coat, jeans that were mud-stained at the bottom and thin grey gloves. Victims described him as smelling sweaty or musty. The first attack linked with the railway rapist was on October 21st, 1988. A 21-year-old woman had been walking near Norberton Station when she was grabbed and dragged 20 yards down a dark alley where she was raped. One week later, a man matching the same description as the attacker had pulled a 17-year-old girl into some trees as she walked home from New Malden Station. The teenager managed to hit the assailant in the face with her shoe and escape. On November 21st, the suspect grabbed a 40-year-old woman by the throat as she passed the railway bridge in Kingston. He raped her too. DCS Davis, who was leading the murder investigation, advised women not to travel alone at night and said that detectives investigating the sex attacks were assisting with Lorraine Benson's murder inquiry. There may be a tenuous link. Now, uh, because of that, we've called in officers from another area, five area, who were investigating that series of linked rapes, and they are here, and we have now conjoined operations together, and they're working with this team. My own view is that it's somebody local, um, but I, we can't ignore the fact that we've had two rapes and an attempted rape in the same area that Lorraine was murdered. One day after the discovery of Lorraine's body, a woman was dragged into an alleyway and raped near Molden Manor Railway Station. Six days later, another woman was confronted by an attacker in an alleyway near Worcester Park Railway Station, but she managed to fight him off and flee. In response, a spokesperson for Scotland Yard said, Lorraine's murder and the other attacks all bear remarkable similarities. We are extremely concerned that we catch this man. A minibus for women who needed lifts home was organised by the Kingston Women's Centre on Canbury Park Road. The unmistakable red minibus would run on Saturday nights in 15-minute intervals between 9.15pm and 12.15am. The volunteer-led service was welcomed by those investigating the case, including Sergeant Garrett, who said... I'd prefer if we lived in a society where women could walk wherever they chose, but we don't. The attacks are increasingly daring. The latest victim did manage to fight off the man who dragged her into an alley next to a fast food shop in the main street in Worcester Park. There have been two other rapes and an attempted rape in the Malden area in the last two months. Detective Superintendent David Fielding gave this warning. This man may well attack again. And women have just got to be very, very careful. The time of night that they go out, they must avoid these lonely places, these dark alleyways. They are very, very vulnerable. On December 30th, 
Mick Benson spoke to a reporter for the Croydon Advertiser from the family home in Woodside Park. Floral tributes were piled beneath the Christmas tree where the presents Lorraine had bought her family had sat just a week earlier. Mick remarked, We had no idea how many friends she had, how much love there was for her. The epitaph she has left is in the love she has brought to people. As much as we are going to miss her, my belief is that she is still with us. I only hope that some good will come of her death, otherwise it will seem an absolute waste. I pray that the police catch the bastard who has done this, but my biggest fear is what will happen when they hand him over to the courts. Our legal system is a joke. Men like that should be hanged. At least then they couldn't do it again. That same night, a 22-year-old woman was attacked in an alleyway near Wimbledon Railway Station. She had been grabbed from behind and thrown to the ground before being raped by a man matching the description given by other survivors. Over 80 officers were assigned to the joint investigation into the rape cases and Lorraine Benson's murder. As the investigation progressed, the police heard from a number of people who lived in the area where Lorraine Benson had been killed. Witnesses recalled seeing Lorraine in her white jacket walking along the route from the station to Holland Avenue. The bus driver saw Lorraine walking along Coombe Lane between 12.10am and 12.25am. Soon afterwards, John McLean, who lived on Coombe Lane, said that he heard a woman shouting outside his home, so he walked outside in his socks to see what was going on. He saw a woman matching Lorraine's description with her arms raised, shouting at a man John didn't recognise. John thought it was a couple arguing, and concerned he went inside to put on his shoes, but when he came back, they were gone. A cab driver who had been travelling along the road saw the same incident. A couple who had also been driving in the area saw a woman in a white jacket with her hood up being supported by a man who had his arm around her. She was being led towards the alleyway where the earring was found and the couple thought she had had too much to drink and was being held up by a boyfriend. Furthermore, two young men who had been skateboarding close to the allotments in front of the pathway where Lorraine's body was later found had heard screams, but they didn't see anyone and couldn't tell where the noise was coming from. In January 1989, One month after Lorraine Benson was murdered, a reconstruction of her last known movements was conducted by police constable Susan Barney, who wore the same clothes Lorraine had been wearing on the night of her murder. PC Barney was accompanied off a train at Rains Park Station by George Holdsworth, just as Lorraine had been. She then completed the rest of the journey alone from the phone boxes down Coombe Lane and on to Holland Avenue, facing the oncoming traffic. As she made the one-mile walk, 
Passing motorists were stopped and questioned whether they recalled seeing a female resembling the policewoman on December 19th. Women who had been urged not to travel alone after dark had begun carrying protection such as rape alarms and pepper spray to ward off attackers. A police spokesman remarked, Women are becoming more streetwise nowadays, but Lorraine was streetwise, and it didn't save her life. At the end of January, a woman was attacked near a railway station in Chessington. She was partially deaf, so didn't hear the man approaching her, but when she felt him pull on her coat, she turned around and heard him say, I'm going to have you. The man was holding a large knife and slashed at her, tearing her coat and cutting her arm and hand as she tried to defend herself. The woman was able to knee the man in the groin and run back into the station to alert the police. In an effort to piece together Lorraine Benson's final steps and find the man believed to be responsible for a string of sex attacks, Detective Superintendent David Fielding told the media about the witnesses who had seen Lorraine on the night she was killed. He said, One man heard the sound of scuffling and scratching, so he went outside to look. He saw a girl in a white coat standing with a figure. He went out again a short time later, but they had gone. A few minutes later, a couple in a van saw a girl we think was Lorraine standing at a roundabout only 50 yards from her friend's house. They said the woman was standing on the pavement. A man seemed to be supporting her. Numerous appeals were made for more witnesses as investigators began looking into violent offenders and sexual predators living in the area. On February 2nd, an attempted rape in Wimbledon was brought to the attention of detectives. A woman living in Rains Park was terrified when a man broke in through the French windows of her home and tried to attack her with a rope. The attacker fled when she fought him off and she hurriedly called the police. Crime scene investigators dusted the window for prints and checked them against the fingerprints they had on file. The prints found at the scene of the attempted rape were matched to 19-year-old John Dunn, who lived on Amity Grove in Rains Park. Dunn was well known to the police, having racked up a number of offences since his early teens. At the age of 14, Dunn had hit a 35-year-old woman on the head with a piece of wood as she walked along Coombe Lane, before he fled with her handbag. As a result, a supervision order was imposed on January 26, 1984. A few months later, Dunn, then aged 15, broke into a 24-year-old woman's home in Rains Park and beat her on the head and burnt her with an iron, before raping her in her own bed over a period of several hours. Afterwards, he left the victim's home and cycled to school where he apologised to his teachers for being late. 
done, was quickly arrested and on October 12, 1984, he pleaded guilty to rape. He was ordered to serve three years in a young offenders institute, Glenthorne Youth Treatment Centre in Erdington. Before his release in October 1987, Psychiatrists from the treatment centre warned the probation service that they had been unable to treat Dunn's personality disorder and they were gravely concerned about his potential to re-offend. Five months after his release, Dunn was charged with carrying an offensive weapon. He was working as a shelf stacker at a local supermarket at the time of his arrest and detectives for the Metropolitan Police noted that the attempted rape bore similarities to Lorraine Benson's murder. Dunn was asked if he had been in the area on the night of December 19th, and he denied that he was. He insisted that he had nothing to do with Lorraine Benson's murder, and because the investigators didn't have enough evidence to prove otherwise, they couldn't charge him with the offence. Dunn remained in custody for the attempted rape, while experts compared blood and saliva samples he had provided against evidence in the case. Lorraine Benson's funeral was held a few days later on February 8th at Northeast Surrey Crematorium in Morden. As Lorraine's casket was brought in, some of her favourite songs were played, including Reach Out and Touch by Diana Ross. The service was led by Reverend Barbara Scales, who spoke about Lorraine's love of life and her endless energy. Reverend Scales told the mourners, She has left behind a wonderful example of how to take hold of life and use it to the utmost. She went out fighting and with dignity. Instead of flowers, Lorraine's parents asked those in attendance to donate to Great Ormond Street Children's Hospital. Peter Cox, who had been completely cleared of any involvement in his friend's murder, flew to Australia later that day. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities maladies, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The investigation continued while the forensic evidence was analysed using new techniques. It had only been a year since the first successful conviction using DNA fingerprinting. In January 1988, double-child murderer and sexual predator Colin Pitchfork was proven to have killed 15-year-old Linda Mann and 15-year-old Dawn Ashworth in Leicestershire between 1983 and 1986, when his DNA was matched to a profile found at both crime scenes. DNA profiling technology had only recently been introduced to the Metropolitan Police Crime Laboratory in Lambeth, and the investigators hoped it would help them solve Lorraine Benson's murder. The blood-stained handkerchief found in the alleyway was examined by forensic scientist Julie Allard. Allard took swabs of blood and nasal mucus from the handkerchief, and she was able to get genetic fingerprints from both samples. Swabs that had been taken during Lorraine's post-mortem were also analysed. Saliva was found on the bite marks on her body, but there was not enough DNA to establish a profile. The blood on the handkerchief was determined to belong to Lorraine, but not the mucus, meaning that she had bled onto the handkerchief after someone else had used it. The DNA profile obtained from the mucus was then compared with John Dunn's DNA, and the DNA obtained from victims of the so-called Railway Rapist. Julie Allard concluded that Dunn was not the man responsible for the series of sex attacks, but his DNA was a 1 in 1.5 million match to the DNA found on the handkerchief. Dunn was confronted with the new evidence whilst in custody for the attempted rape, but he continued to deny any involvement in Lorraine's murder. He suggested that he had lost the handkerchief in the area in the days before Lorraine was killed. Dental impressions of Dunn's teeth were then taken and compared with the bite marks found on Lorraine's arm and hand. 
A forensic odontologist specialising in bite mark identification concluded that it had been done who had bitten Lorraine. What's more, a zigzag pattern noted in the dust on the abandoned car in the alleyway where the handkerchief was found was suspected to be evidence of a struggle between Lorraine and her killer. Julie Allard determined that the pattern had probably come from the zip on Lorraine's coat, and an overlapping pattern matched an impression made by a jacket taken from John Dunn's home. This showed that the dust had been disturbed when both jackets had moved against the car simultaneously. The investigators went back to John Dunn with the evidence they had gathered against him. He eventually admitted he recognised Lorraine Benson. Dunn said that on the night Lorraine was killed, he had taken LSD, a Purple Hearts tablet, and had drunk a Hellraiser cocktail made with lager, cider, rum, whiskey and blackcurrant juice. He said, I must be bloody thick, and passed the detectives a note that read, I'm sorry I can't tell, but only find it possible in writing. Here is my confession. I hope God will forgive me for what I have done. I put the rope around her neck to frighten her. I didn't know I pulled it so tight. I froze when I saw she was not breathing. All I could think of was her saying, please don't kill me. I still have those words in my head. They will never go away, not even when I am dead. I have tried to kill myself four times. I hope my Lord sweet Jesus will send me to hell. After being charged with Lorraine Benson's murder, John Dunn wrote a letter to his parents which read in part, I know from my deepest thoughts that you can never forgive me for what I have done. Maybe this time I can get some help to sort out my crooked and bent mind and find out what I have done, no matter how long it takes. I love you all very much and don't want to lose you. The police believed that John Dunn had followed Lorraine Benson as she walked along Coombe Lane before passing and then confronting her, which explained why witnesses thought they saw a couple arguing. It was thought that Dunn hit Lorraine in the face, stunning her and causing her to bleed. They struggled in the alleyway where Lorraine lost her bag and deering. Using his handkerchief, he wiped the blood from her face and pulled up her hood to hide the injuries from passing motorists. Dunn then put his arm around Lorraine and dragged her towards the pathway where her body was later found. There was no evidence to suggest that Lorraine had been raped, but she had put up an incredible fight for her life. Speaking about why it was important that the media did not say that Lorraine was raped, her father Mick later said, I wish it had been true and she'd lived, but she died rather than give in. If it was that important to her, it was very important to us that it was reported correctly. (laughs) 
On February 18, 1989, John Dunn was brought before Wimbledon Magistrates Court charged with murder and unrelated charges of attempted rape, arson, burglary, assaulting a police officer, resisting arrest and driving under the influence. He was remanded into custody until his trial at the Old Bailey later that year. With a suspect behind bars, Lorraine Benson's loved ones could finally begin to move forward. Over £1,000 had been raised for Great Ormond Street Children's Hospital after her parents had asked for donations in lieu of flowers at her funeral. The hospital had informed Mick and Lynn that a plaque in Lorraine's memory would be displayed on one of the wards. Mick told the Croydon advertiser, I would like to thank all the people who have donated. This is a wonderful legacy to Lorraine, which shows the amount of love and affection everyone had for her. It will be a wonderful memorial as the hospital will be there for a long, long time. We loved our daughter with all our hearts, and she is so sorely missed. What Lorraine achieved in 22 short years is amazing. We had no idea there was so much love and affection for her. We are very proud of her, and feel she has earned this memorial. Four months later, in July 1989, some of Lorraine's friends and relatives, as well as officers who had worked on the case, did an army assault course in her memory. Lorraine had completed the course a few months before she died, and her father felt as though it was a fitting tribute to his daughter. Mick said, It just showed the amount of love felt for Lorraine, which has given us such great strength. John Dunn pleaded guilty to murder at the Old Bailey on October 20th, 1989. He entered not guilty pleas to charges of burglary, burglary with intent to rape, arson, indecent assault and attempted rape. The pleas were accepted and it was agreed the charges would lie on file. Recounting the events... Julian Bevan QC explained that Dunn had attacked Lorraine before dragging her into an alleyway and then down an overgrown path. The prosecutor told the court, Two lamps were not working that night, so it was not only lonely and deserted, but dark as well. People living across some allotments heard her screaming, but no one was able to see what was happening. The court heard that there was indisputable evidence linking Dunn to the crime. His barrister, Brian Higgs QC, said, He is not sorry for himself, but for the misery he has inflicted upon the Benson family and upon his own. The defence tried to imply that Lorraine had consented to go home with Dunn before he killed her, something her family did not believe. Speaking to a correspondent for the Croydon Advertiser about the proceedings, Lorraine's father Mick said, We had to sit in the public gallery next to the killer's parents. 
It wasn't their fault. That's just the way it works. The bastard who killed her pleaded guilty, but that didn't stop his defence reading out a damaging statement about Lorraine and what happened that night. The judge said he didn't believe a word of it, but as relatives we have no right of reply. She fought that bastard to the death rather than be raped, and yet we couldn't say anything about her character. I don't know how they can call it justice. The solicitor says, I know you've killed this girl, but what can we do to discredit her memory? On October 24th, John Dunn was brought back to the Old Bailey to be sentenced by the presiding judge, Mr Justice Waterhouse. The judge highlighted Dunn's criminal history and how he had been released from a Young Offenders Institute 14 months before he killed Lorraine. Judge Waterhouse said, Attempts were made to treat you before when you were in detention. The fears of those who had you in their charge have now been dreadfully fulfilled. You represent a continuing danger to the public, and if I was to make a recommendation, it would have been in the order of 25 to 30 years. No one can forecast when it will be safe to release you. The record of this offence shows you constitute an exceptional danger to both young and mature women. You should not be released until it is safe for the general public. If that means that you will have to be detained for the rest of your life, so be it. Speaking outside the court after the proceedings... Mick Benson said that he had sent letters to the Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher and other MPs asking them to reinstate the death penalty as a deterrent for would-be criminals. Mick said, We got a letter of sympathy from Mrs Thatcher, but all we got from Home Secretary Douglas Hurd was a load of claptrap. I expect some do-gooder will decide that Dunn is fit to be released after 12 years. If he is... I shall be waiting for him. I honestly feel that the only thing that would make me feel better if he was safe and he was tucked. I'm sorry, but, you know, that's it. It's, it's silly. He's, he's let out for nine months and he raped or kills my daughter after getting three years for rape. They go in for attempted rape, they come out, they rape, they come out, they murder, they come out and they murder again. Nothing changes. And this slimy talks there about, oh, if he could have help, You'll be reading in three years' time how he's suddenly found God and there'll be a gang of people saying, let him out. I can't relate to this. They do not change. And as I say, it encourages others when they see these get away with it. So where are we now? Mick and Lynn Benson said that they did not feel any different after John Dunn had been sentenced for Lorraine's murder. I mean, I sat there when Superintendent Fielding was telling me things like, oh, two people in the van saw it and they thought Laurie was drunk. And I am sitting there thinking, why the bloody hell didn't you get out and help? Then I stood back and I thought, well, would I? And I thought, no, it's everybody's attitude now to, oh, too much drink. It was all those if-onlys. It was, you know, you can't blame anybody apart from this slime, and I'm afraid in my way I blame society for allowing these things to happen. Because if there was a deterrent, these people, there'd be a 0.001% who would be doing things like this, and you could say they were sick. 
Mick continued to call for legislative change to reenact the death penalty and argued that if the system worked, then Dunn would never have been released from prison to kill his daughter. Mick stated, I hope that in his case, life will mean life. I would like to think that there will be people in the prison service who will contact me at any time in the future if they hear that Dunn might be released. We cry every day. You never get over it. People say you do in time, but you don't. I have suffered grief before when I lost my parents, but you cannot know how it feels to have to bury your own daughter. It is something that no one should have to go through. During an interview with the Croydon Post two weeks later, Lorraine's mother Lynn said that they were still living a nightmare without Lorraine. Lynn remarked, Nothing could ever fill the terrible void in our lives or replace her love for us. The family circle has been cruelly broken. Mick and Lynn had been unable to work for months after Lorraine's death, and they had relied on support from family members and friends to get by. By the start of 1990, they were in debt and using bank loans to support themselves. The Criminal Injuries Compensation Board offered them £632 towards Lorraine's funeral costs, which felt like an insult to Mick, who stated... The government can spend £40 million on remand centres, but they don't do an ounce to help the victims of crime. We don't want a handout. We are just looking for fair treatment for bereaved families like us. Lorraine Benson's family continued to raise money for Great Ormond Street Hospital in her memory. In March 1990... Parasol Portraits, where Lorraine worked before her death, named an award for Best Newcomer in Photography in her honour. John Dunn had been eligible for parole since 2006. Lorraine's parents have contested each hearing. Following a hearing in 2016... Mick spoke about the lasting impact of Lorraine's death. Her bedroom still contains piles of her books, teddies, her favourite photos of Elvis's tombstone and a treasured belt buckle with a picture of her hero Elvis. We still have her beloved tortoise George, who is our favourite family pet. Speaking about an impending decision by the parole board, Mick said... I would like to think these learned characters on parole boards pay the price when miscreants reoffend. yet you never hear of them having to explain their mistakes. I've got no faith in the justice system. Nothing is working. I feel such contempt towards the circus that masquerades under the name of British Justice. A parole board panel recommended that Dunn be moved to an open prison, which he did in the summer of 2017. Speaking with the Irish Sun two years later, Mick recalled hearing that the trial judge had been reprimanded for telling John Dunn he would likely have an indefinite sentence because prisoners had to have hope. 
Meg replied. What about our hope? We're the ones who have a life sentence. We think of her all the time. Would she be married? Would we have grandchildren through her? We brought her ashes home so she's still here with us. I still talk to Lorraine and say goodnight. And I even thank her when I get questions right on eggheads because I think she helps me. Lorraine's life was cut short at 22 and the prison is full of scum like done. That's why when people say forgive and forget, I don't react well. I'm never going to forget. And I'm never going to forgive. John Dunn has since been released from prison. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our patrons for their support. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. 
Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.